If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I reconnected with an old friend on Facebook. Uh, hadn't spoken with him in years. Yeah. And uh, he's like, so what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I, I do a podcast now. Well, what's the podcast? And so I'm searching the link. I'm going to send him the link to our website. Uh-huh. And I type in box of oddities. And of course, Google brings up all of these suggested searches that many people have done. Ah, uh, the, the frequently searched yeah, things. Right. Yes. And so I'm scrolling down through them. And uh, I didn't have to go too far before one of the suggestions was box of oddities, Cat and Jethro age difference. <laughs> it's 20 years, guys. It's 20 years. Just so you know, it, it's 20 years. Okay. <laughs> Love is love. You know what I'm saying? No. What are you saying? I'm saying love is love. You love me? I don't know. Maybe a little. uh, Something like that. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, shut up. You're gross. I'm going to start with a story for you right now. Are you ready? Ready. A political haircut. Sticking your head through the cat flap. Sneezing into the basket. Um, are you talking about beheadings these are all euphemisms for beheadings so weird by the guillotine and they were popular <laughs> during the french revolution oh look at uh, king louis the 14th he's going to stick his head through the cat flap he's going to get a political haircut the creation of the device the guillotine is attributed to dr joseph guillotine who was a french doctor and a politician but he did not invent it no as many people believe At best, he assisted in the construction. But guillotine was against capital punishment. Oh, okay. And that may seem strange that a man who was against the death penalty would help create such an efficient device for death. Well, it being efficient, I think, is part of the benefit of it. Yes, and that's what got him involved in it. Once he realized that his colleagues had no interest in helping him to abolish the death penalty... He agreed to assist in the creation of a mechanism that would present a more pain-free execution. A more humane option. Yes. And uh, he actually advocated for 
pain-free executions throughout his life once he realized that he wasn't going to be able to get the death penalty abolished. Right. Prior to the invention of the guillotine, lower-class citizens that committed crimes uh, were tortured and then put to death, usually by hanging or other horrible ways. Members of the aristocracy were afforded a more quick and merciful death, usually provided by a swordsman, which doesn't seem quick and merciful. Mm. But when the guillotine was rolled out, it was thought of by most as the great equalizer when it came to spanning all the classes in execution. The guillotine was actually invented by a guy named Dr. Antoine Lewis. It seems like a weird thing to have invented. I think in my brain it's so, I don't think ubiquitous is the right word. It's such a simple contraption mm. that to me it's like, oh, he invented tossing a boulder onto someone to kill them. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Guillotine assisted uh, Dr. Antoine Lewis and also another man who uh, was involved in it. His name was Tobias Schmidt and his credentials were listed as harpsichord manufacturer. <laughs> so you got a doctor. You've got multiple skills going on yeah. there. Yeah. You've got an anti-death uh, penalty guy and a harpsichord manufacturer feverishly working in a back room somewhere to create a more efficient death device. It sounds like a great Martin Short, Steve Martin vehicle. Even though Guillotine did not invent the device, his name was used in describing it. Guillotine, as well as members of his family, were horrified and embarrassed by this. Aww. They didn't want to be associated with decapitation, I guess that makes sense. So they sent a request to the government asking them to change the name of the decapitation device. Oh, were they successful? No, the response they received was not what they were hoping for. It seems as though the government was quite happy, thank you, with calling the device a guillotine. So the French government wouldn't change the name of the device. Rude. So the guillotine family changed their name. Ironically, they changed their name to Pointy Neck Slicer. No, I made that up. The guillotine's first public appearance was on April 25th, 1792. A man named Nicolas Pelletier, or I think the French pronunciation is Pelletier, he had been sentenced to death after being found guilty of theft. Now, there was much talk about this new decapitation device and a very high level of interest. A huge crowd turned up to witness the spectacle, uh, it was actually conducted on the site that now houses the Place de l'Hôtel de Ville in Paris, which is a popular hotel. This was the classic case of overhyping because once the execution took place, it was so efficient that it only took seconds and the crowd was not impressed at all and felt they were, it had been somewhat uh, anticlimactic. I feel like that was such a weird period in time where crowds would gather yeah. to watch someone be murdered and i just i don't understand oh, the it, appeal it was a big thing they I would know. they would turn out um it was like an all-day party because remember up until the executions with uh, the guillotine they included torture and hanging sometimes a prisoner would be drawn and quartered now quick refresher drawn and quartered means you would be tied to the back of a horse and dragged through the town to the execution square where all four of your limbs would be tied to separate horse carriages and the last thing you heard was yeah these executions would take hours so people were used to making a day of it 
I kind of picture like a modern tailgate party, people showing up a few hours before the event. They've got a keg going, maybe a hibachi grill on their tailgate with Def Leppard blaring from their boombox. I think you mean Def Leppard. Def Leppard. The crowd was so disappointed by the swiftness of the blade of the guillotine, they actually booed the executioner, <laughs> Charles-Henri Sanson. And it's hard to imagine today, but a good part of the entertainment that the crowd drew from the execution was watching the prisoner suffer. I think that brings me back to that question of like, is the penalty for a crime a deterrent for others who see it, you know, being played out? That was the original intent. Is it to inflict pain that people think those who have committed those crimes deserve. And I really struggle with where some people land on that. No, I mean, even today, if there's a bad car accident, people are drawn to it. So it's not something that's gone away entirely. There's a morbid fascination, but when it borders on, you know, cheering on the death of somebody, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's, a little, that's a little dicey. And since there was very little suffering with the guillotine, they were very disappointed. But soon... The market adjusted, as markets will do. The guillotine parties became a real thing at the height of the first French Revolution. On the day of an execution, they would set up little booths around the scaffolds. They would sell food and drinks and souvenirs, like printed lists of those who were going to be killed that day. They also had, they sold little toy guillotines for the kids to play with. And even guillotine earrings were popular. During the guillotine's bloody reign, 16,549 men and women were executed. The guillotine really upped the executioner's productivity. Well, yeah. In Paris alone, check this out, between March of 1793 and August of 1794, it's estimated that about 3,000 people sneezed into the basket. That's an average of five people a day for a year and a half. And it's been said the bloodiest day in the guillotine's history was July the 7th, 1794, when 68 people were guillotined. Wow. One right after another. I imagine they sold a lot of little guillotine earrings that day. And of course, one of the most famous people to be executed by guillotine was King Louis XIV. There was a popular story going around shortly after his execution that essentially said he was a whiny little bitch as they led him to his uh, his death. Well, yeah. And that was written by a, a journalist at the time. But we're fairly certain that is not the case. And how do we know this? Because there was an account written by Charles-Henri Sanson, oh. his executioner. Right. It was written and sent to the newspaper to refute the journalist's claims. Well, good for him. And it's amazing that the contents of this document still exist. From an excerpt from the book, The Man Who Thought He Was Napoleon by Laurie Marat, here's the executioner's account of what happened on that day, Monday, January 21st, 1793, in the middle of the afternoon. Quote, Here, as promised, is the exact truth of what happened. On getting down from the carriage for his execution, he was told that he would have to remove his coat. He made some objection, saying that he could be executed just as he was. On being told that this was impossible, he himself helped to remove his coat. He made the same objections when it came to tying his hands, 
which he then held out himself once the person accompanying him said it was one last sacrifice. When he asked if the drums would roll throughout, the answer was that they did not know which was the truth. He climbed onto the scaffold and sought to move to the front as if though wishing to speak, but it was pointed out to him that this too was impossible. So he allowed himself to be led to the place where he was bound and where he shouted very loudly, people, I die innocent. And then turning toward us, he said, gentlemen, I am innocent of every charge laid against me. I hope that my blood may seal the happiness of the French people. Those, citizen, were his true final words. So he was pretty brave. Yeah, those are pretty honorable words, I, I would, guess. I would think so. There are a lot of lesser known facts surrounding the guillotine and beheadings in, in general. For example, did you know that executioners were commonly subject to bribery? Jack Ketch was a 17th century executioner in London. Now, London was still using the archaic axe and chopping block. Okay. Far less efficient than the guillotine. Ketch was known to accept bribes from the condemned to make sure that his aim was true and that the prisoner suffered little. That is not something that you can follow up on if he doesn't do his due uh, diligence. Yeah, that's true. What a weird thing. Like, I mean, you could hope. <laughs> and at the same time he was doing that, on the other end of the spectrum, he was taking bribes from the condemned person's enemies. It's a catch-22. A jack catch-22. Yeah. His enemies would pay the executioner to drag it out and make it as a torturous spectacle as possible. That's gross, you guys. One of the most outrageous examples was Ketch's botched execution of the Duke of Monmouth in 1685. It took him five swings of the axe, and still he had to finish the job with a knife. It's said that after, after the first botched swing of the axe, it missed so badly that the Duke actually lifted his head up from the uh, chopping block and shot the executioner a stern look. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a dad thing to yeah, do. Yeah, right. Beheading was also a familiar way to execute a condemned criminal in the Ottoman Empire. But with one strange custom, if you were wealthy and you were sentenced to be beheaded, there was a, a loophole. There was a way you could possibly get out. Okay. If you could outrun the executioner in a foot race... I love that. And there was a special course that had been designed around the palace in Istanbul. It was about 300 yards. And if you could beat your executioner in the foot race, you would just be banished from the kingdom and not executed. Few prisoners were successful because the executioners, of course, ran the course many times and knew it much better. Right. This practice actually lasted until the 18th century. The guillotine also led directly to Madame Tussaud's wax museum. Oh, really? Madame Tussaud learned how to make lifelike wax figures by creating casts of decapitated heads that she got from the baskets at the guillotine. Ooh. She wrote in her memoirs how she would uh, balance a bloody head on her knee in order to better capture its features. That and, is an artist dedicated <laughs> to her work. Interestingly, she was almost beheaded herself. She was arrested for being a royalist during France's reign of terror. Uh, she was freed 
and immediately left France, understandably, and continue her work in London. And that's where she opened her now famous wax museum. So the guillotine's first public execution was April 25th, 1792. And we have mentioned this in the past on the show, and I find it fascinating. The last execution using the guillotine happened September 10th, 1977. Mm. The condemned had been found guilty of torture and murder. The sentence was carried out in the courtyard at the prison in Marseille and was conducted by Marcel Chevalier, who would become France's last executioner when capital punishment ended in France in 1981. My source material, Discover Walks, the book The Man Who Thought He Was Napoleon by Laurie Murat, and Mental Floss. That's so interesting. And when you look at some of the methods that we use for execution currently, like mm. here in the States, yeah. the guillotine is a thousand times preferable. It's much more humane. And I I lean on the side of just get it over with. Yeah. I'm not down yeah. for the torture part. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. <laughs> this message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, 
it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. Murmurations are the graceful, undulating patterns that starlings create when they flock together in the sky. And even though our technology is so advanced, scientists are still unsure how the birds coordinate their movements so quickly. Paul sent us an email. Hey, you two, been listening for a few months now to Box of Oddities and Shallow End. Love what you do. As a mail carrier, I listen to your podcasts while I drive, and it makes my day better. I've heard you mention boo effects, but never thought much of it until just now. While returning to the office and listening to Box 365, I drive past a new brewery just established in a very small building. As I pass, I say to myself out loud, you're telling me they built a brewery in that tiny building? Not one second later, JG says, yes, the family brews beer. <laughs> what the hell, JG? Seriously, though, it was super cool. Maybe we should have a beer sometime. Keep it up, guys. Love the podcast. Paul from North Carolina. We mentioned on an episode not long ago that we were moving and we didn't know where to yet. And we have received some <laughs> really great suggestions. Lorena suggested Antigua, which I mean, I'm down. We've been there once. I think we went kayaking. Didn't that, we? Yeah, that was a wonderful day. Yeah, it was great. Laura suggested New Jersey. Apparently, there is no shortage of weird there. Rihanna told us we should move to Philadelphia. And Jessica said, Virginia Beach. Her number one reason, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Holly suggested uh, either Georgia or Tennessee, and she gave a list of reasons. Number one, salamander capital of the world. There are so many. She says, the food, it's close to the Gulf of Mexico. And then the last reason, number five, moonshine. Trust me on this. Anna sent us a message regarding the Irina Sendler episode, and it it led to me crying in the Epcot parking lot. They that wrote, wouldn't be the first time. No, it's true. I've tried for a week now to come up with words to describe how much it meant to me that you told the story highlighting the struggle of Jewish people in World War II, but maybe I'll just ramble about what happened. So, okay, my sweetheart and his family came to America during the fall of the USSR. He actually got his tongue stuck to a pole in Soviet at Russia. Anyway, I was playing that episode and I started to cry as I often do when I think about how crazy it is that I met him. He has no idea the hell that he saved me from, but mostly I realized how easily I could have lost all chance of ever meeting him. His family got to come to America because they are Jewish, and I cherish my sarcastic Jewish man with all my heart. I'm going to send you a hilarious photo of him as a baby. And I'm surprised that he's got photos at all. I mean, a camera was a rare thing in Soviet Union at that time. And she sent along some baby photos Aww. of her fella. And really, I mean, it was pretty cute. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Curator at theboxofoddities.com is our email address. We love hearing from you guys. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? My favorite part of that jingle is the what? What? <laughs> I don't know why, but it delights me every time I hear it. I was feeling the funk. I <laughs> I have heard you do that on occasion. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, I do. John Constantine is a fictional character who appears in American comic books published by DC. He was created by Alan Moore, Stephen R. Bissett, Rick Vetch, and John Tottleton. John Constantine is a warlock, an occult detective, and a con man from Liverpool who is stationed in London. Originally, he was a supporting character who played a role in the American Gothic slash Swamp Thing storyline, and Constantine received his own comic in 1988. You might remember... Constantine got his live-action debut in the film Constantine in 2005. Keanu Reeves? Yes, that's exactly right. I actually love that movie and and would really enjoy watching it again. And he was portrayed on the NBC series Constantine. Also keep in mind that he was the titular character in the Hellblazer series, and that was the longest-running and most successful title of DC's Vertigo imprint. Empire Film Magazine ranked Constantine third in their 50 greatest comic characters of all time. Wow. IGN ranked him number 29 in its top 100. The character ranked number 10 in Wizard Magazine's top 200 characters of all time. Alan Moore created the character after Steve Bissett and John Tottleton, who were fans of the band The Police, expressed a desire to draw Sting. This is how Constantine was created. Really? Entirely because these two wanted to draw Sting. Okay. (laughs) I just love that so much. (laughs) Hey, 
A great artist finds inspiration everywhere. That's right. Today we're talking about the inspiration for the character or the look of certain comic book characters. Interesting. Yeah. Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. So Carol accidentally absorbed the powers of the alien Marvel to become the superhero. Parts of her backstory involved her career as a groundbreaking female pilot and a magazine editor. And in that way, she was based off two women. Her groundbreaking achievements as a pilot draws parallels to the legendary Amelia Earhart. In addition, though, Carol fights crime under the alias Ms. Marvel, which fans speculated is a nod to Ms. Magazine, the publication that Gloria Steinem was running at the time. Huh. So by day, Carol... Captain Marvel, is a journalist at Women's Magazine. She has blonde hair. She wore neck scarves and oversized glasses, a la Gloria Steinem. She has a strong feminist outlook, and she refused to publish articles about beauty or diets or whatever, instead focusing on some of the incredible stories centered around her female superhero alter ego, which is a little self-serving. Yeah, but, it is. But... It's better than how to lose 10 pounds in seven hours. <laughs> Captain Marvel writer Kelly Sue DeConnick said, it was Gloria Steinem fan fiction in the most literal sense. How about that? Yeah. Gloria Steinem. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Never would have suspected that. This is why I was kind of blown away that you said you were talking about beheading today. Doctor Strange is the first superhero movie to begin with a beheading. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Now, Doctor Strange was built around this real interest in Pulp Fiction magicians from Stan Lee's childhood, especially Chandu the Magician, who was the star of a popular radio show that was broadcast from 1931 to 1936. Wait, he was a magician on the radio? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Edgar Bergen. He was a ventriloquist who had a radio show. Wow, that seems like a really easy gig. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was able to pull that one off. Stan Lee often cited Chandu as the key inspiration for Doctor Strange. Now, Frank Chandler, a.k.a. Chandu, was an American who learned supernatural skills from Asia, most notably the power of astral projection, which is kind of Doctor Strange's thing. Mm, yeah. He also learned superpowers from Asia, um, though eventually it became some made-up country in Asia. And again, specializes in astral projection. But Doctor Strange's look, crafted by illustrator Steve Ditko, was modeled on Vincent Price. And now that I know that, wow. I cannot unsee it. Yeah, definitely. In the 1963 movie The Raven, Vincent Price played a sorcerer who seemed particularly similar to Doctor Strange, who first appeared in 1963 in the issue 110 of Strange Tales. Another clue left by the creators is the character's middle name, Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange. Aha! Uh -huh. Yeah, it's another nod to the iconic actor who I love best in the movie House on Haunted Hill, and you should definitely watch it. That's a classic. William Moulton Marston. He was a psychologist and a feminist. And in the 1930s, he wanted to create a role model for strong, empowered women. Now, at this time, Marston was living kind of a 
fringe lifestyle. He was Polly, and he had a wife, Elizabeth Holloway, and a life partner, Olivia Byrne. He based his superhero off of both women in his life, and together they became Wonder Woman. Huh. And it all was inspired by a polyamorous relationship. Yeah. Wonder Woman's appearance and personality drew off of both women. Marston gifted his life partner, Olivia Byrne, with a pair of Arabic protection bracelets in place of a wedding ring, which became the inspiration for Diana's famous magic bracelets. Marston designed Wonder Woman to be an allegory for the ideal love leader, the kind of woman he believed should run society. Frankly, Wonder Woman is psychological propaganda for the new type of woman who, Marston wrote, I believe should rule the world. Now, Marston is described as a feminist, but that's not exactly entirely accurate because Marston didn't believe in equality as much as he believed that women were superior. I see. Okay. And that's how Wonder Woman was created. Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman was crafted by Batman creators Bob Crane and Bill Finger. She was a real mashup. The cat, as she was originally called, first appeared in Batman number one, spring of 1940. Kane mentioned her as a sort of female Batman in his autobiography. He confessed that when he was a young, impressionable boy, quote, Jean Harlow seemed to personify feminine pulchritude at its most sensuous. Now, I had to look up the word pulchritude because Uh I have never heard that word before. And it basically just means beauty. Could have just said beauty. I think so. Would have saved you time. Come on, Bob. Anyway, in part, Catwoman was based on Jean Harlow, as we now know, and Bob Kane's cousin, Ruth Steele. Now, in some sources, she was referred to as his girlfriend. Hmm. Maybe she was both. I don't know, but... Ruth Steele, coolest name ever, Jean Harlow, and they added in a little Hedy Lamar. Because if you're looking for a beautiful, swanky woman who can take care of business, it's going to be Hedy Lamar. That's Hedley. Anne Hathaway said that her Dark Knight Rises performance as Catwoman was specifically inspired by Lamar. She said she watched lots of mm. film with her in it and uh, lots of time watching cat videos on YouTube. <laughs> and finally, Iron Man. Stan Lee described filmmaker and aviator Howard Hughes as, quote, one of the most colorful men of our time. He was an inventor, an adventurer, a multi-billionaire, a ladies' man, and finally, a nutcase. Yeah, yeah. So when creators Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were coming up with the character of Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, who better to base him on? Hughes aided in the United States military in World War II and the Cold War, both financially and with his innovative aircraft designs. His Hughes H-1 racer set a transcontinental airspeed record in 1937, and Lee has been quoted in several interviews talking about the inspiration for Iron Man and even named Tony Stark's father, Howard, as a nod to the real inspiration for Iron Man. I didn't know this. Yeah. That's fascinating. I love that Stan Lee essentially just took inspiration from everything. He was like, oh, that's neat. Gonna write a comic. (laughs) (laughs) I got my information from Access Online, Listverse, Wikipedia, History by Day, DigitalSpy.com, and BloodyDisgusting.com. 
Somebody registered bloodydisgusting.com. As oh, a, wow. Bloody okay. Disgusting has been a website for a long time. It's changed a lot over the years. Oh, it's a lot oh, more oh, palatable now. Okay. All right. That's really interesting stuff. And you mentioned Howard Hughes being the inspiration for Tony Stark. And Tony Stark was the inspiration for Elon Musk. <laughs> We love you guys. We appreciate you hanging out with us here on the Box of Oddities. If you enjoy the program, share it with a friend. Tell a friend, why don't you? Turn them on to the Freak family. That's a great idea. Yeah. Maybe a friend who drives a Tesla. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that Freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful Freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. John Constantine. Sorry, I just got like a wave of anxiety. Like I got nervous about doing an episode. (laughs) I've only done 500, sweetie. (laughs) It still makes me anxious from time to time. You do good. You do good. Okay. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, Women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.